Blog Talk Radio. All right. Blog Talk USA. Are you tired of waiting for change? Tune into Blog Talk USA. Let your voice be heard on Blog Talk USA. gentlemen and welcome once again to marvelous monday it is always a pleasure to be right back here with you every single monday hopefully prayerfully you had a great time on last monday we took a slight sabbatical as you know it was a holiday it was labor day weekend so hopefully prayerfully you had a safe holiday weekend And now our boots are back out here on the ground, ready and willing and able to make sure that you cast your vote. Voting is your power. Unleash that vote. Voting is the soul of our nation, and you must be a part of that nation. Thank you so much for tuning in with us. Uh, Miss Rihanna is going to be... Standing side there to make sure that the lines are open if any of you want to talk. But what I'm really excited about, but before we get going, let me just make a couple of announcements. Uh, As you know, we're getting very, very close uh, to early voting. It's going to begin, what, October the 13th here in Texas. It's going to go on for three weeks, and we're excited about that because you don't have to wait until Election Day, November the 3rd, in order to get going. You can get started on the very first day of early voting. And if you're going to do that in person, let me tell you how to really be safe out there, because as you know, COVID-19 still is as powerful as it has ever been. Unfortunately, we're still having deaths. Each day, we're still having positive cases each day. Uh, COVID-19 is all around us. So if, in fact, you do go out to the polls to vote, by all means, uh, mask up, even shield up if you have a shield. But if you don't, make sure that you have the proper mask and that you're wearing that mask above your nostril area and not below your nasal passages. This is an airborne disease. Some people say, well, we don't know enough about it. Yeah, we know enough about COVID-19 in order to help to preserve some lives. Uh, That's important. And if you have some gloves, wear those. Use lots of hand sanitizer. I even use hand sanitizer on my gloves. So by all means, be prepared if you have to go to the polls to vote. But if you don't have to, you can always apply for a uh, ballot by mail. Uh, If you're 65 and over, you would qualify. If you're going to be out of the county on the day of election, you will qualify. Uh, If you have any disabilities of any kind, uh, you don't have to name your disabilities, but if you have one, you know what your disabilities are. If you have one, you can check that box off and you can vote by mail. And if you're uncomfortable with sending your ballot in by mail, 
then drop it off at your election office and find out where that election office is and drop it off there. So, and if, in fact, you want to go ahead and go to the polls, you don't have to get out of your vehicle. You can let them know, and then they can come out and bring the voting box to you, and you can do that right there, you and your family members or whatever. But, but by all means, we must get to the polls to vote. Once again, voting is the soul of our nation. So, now, let's find out who we have on with us tonight. Uh, Mr. Arthur, my co-host, are you there? Let's First of all, find out if he's on with us. Are you there, sir? How y'all doing tonight? We're great. Welcome back. I hope you had a great holiday weekend on last weekend, and I hope you enjoyed the, the day off. It's always nice to have a little bit of a break, right? Always, always. <laughs> and I hope, Colin, and I hope uh, my nephew, Colin, is doing good. Yes, he is. is. Just growing like a wild weed. We're so proud of that young man. We're so proud of Miss Rihanna. Uh, We just let her to continue to take good care of herself and the baby and all of that and listen in. And she'll plug in wherever she needs to. We'll send her a text message if we need to. But she's going to open up and make sure that all of our special guests, we have some amazing guests on with us tonight. But before we really get back into that, also I want to mention a couple more things. Uh, Bethesda Healthcare Clinic is a healthcare clinic, uh, Mr. Arthur, here in Tyler, Texas. And on our um, Black Leadership Council here in Tyler, Texas tonight, we had uh, on with us, and it was great to have her, Dr. Sandra Owens, uh, from over there at Bethesda Clinic. And as you know, healthcare is very important, very crucial. So for those of us, yes, and if you don't have uh, adequate health care, if you have no health care at all, uh, Bethesda Healthcare Clinic will provide health care for you at no cost. Uh, That's right here in Tyler, Texas. So if, in fact, there are some people here in the Smith County area who does not have health care or does not have adequate health care, reach out to uh, Dr. Sandra Owens, and she'll make sure that you get the proper care that you need. We have physicians and nurses and social workers and people who volunteer uh, there at that clinic. I had the privilege of when that clinic first started uh, several years ago uh, that I had the privilege of of volunteering there. So it's an amazing uh, place. They have same care that you would get at any clinic. You can get it right there. And then I want to mention that September the 17th is Constitution Day, uh, and so there's going to be a program there at the University of Texas at Tyler from 10 until 2, Constitution Day. So join in for that. And then let me mention that that September the 22nd is National Voter Registration Day. So we're working hard to make sure that people get registered. And, Mr. Arthur, we want them to know that they need to check uh, the records to make sure that their names have not been purged uh, from the records. Uh, usually, mm-hmm. if you haven't voted in a while, that's when they purge you. But I understand they're even purging people who have voted on a regular basis. So check those records to make certain that you are on the list. Now, let's get right straight down to our guest. I, I received the uh, text message from Miss um, Judy Gobble who is on with us tonight. Uh, We're just uh, excited to have her on. She's running for office, and then we're going to allow her to uh, introduce herself. 
And but before we do that, we have to say happy birthday to her. Today is her birthday, and we're just really excited about this. She's one of the millennials that are doing great work here in Tyler, Texas, and she is a student at University of Texas here locally in Tyler. Miss Judy, are you there? I am here. To have you on, uh, Mr. Uh, Arthur. This is Miss. Well, I will let Miss Julie tell you all about whatever she. Let us know what you're running for, and she's running against the person that she's working hard to get rid of. And as a matter of fact, she offered to have uh, a debate with him, and but he didn't want Miss Julie, and I can tell him he doesn't want her, and that's why he said no. But go ahead and tell us what you want us to know about yourself, Miss Julie. Thank you. I am good. I first want to say thank you to Dr. Shirley McKellar for having me on the show tonight and letting me come on and talk. Um, like she said, today is my birthday, so we are out right now walking the dogs because that's what I wanted to do for my birthday. Um, but as she said, I am running against Matt Schaefer for the House of Representatives here in Texas, District 6, which covers just about all of Smith County. And, yeah, we are fighting for the basic necessities. We're talking health care. We're talking public education. We're talking living wages. And those are things that should have been provided to the people of East Texas long, long, long ago. Uh, But we have had folks in office unchallenged and complacent for far too long. And that has led to the working class of East Texas suffering. And so, Uh, We decided that we were going to stand up to the GOP here in East Texas and say, no, not anymore. You, you You can attempt to do what you've been doing, but at the very least, you will certainly be challenged every single election cycle until we receive new leadership here in East Texas. Very, very good. So tell them exactly, uh, Ms. Julie, what that position is that you're running for, where it's located, your your uh, district that you will be covering. We know that it's Smith County. We don't know if it's other counties or not. And there may be some people who are listening from some of the other surrounding East Texas counties, which I can tell you they are. So just go ahead and lay out to us what, what your district consists of, the location. Sure. So it is Almost all of Smith County. It doesn't entail any other any other counties primarily because Smith County is just so populous, um, especially with Tyler. So it includes the outlying cities of Tyler, including Whitehouse, Bullard, Flint, Noonday, uh, New Chapel Hill, and some of the um, community over there at Oh it's, uh, Emerald Bay. And that is that is the total of my and Chandler. So it's about seven cities in total, including Tyler, uh, and then yeah, just the one county, Smith County. And we are the lower chamber of the Texas House of Represent or of the Texas Legislative Body. So we are the first round of lawmaking, and uh, we go in and we draft bills, we pass them back and forth with the Senate, and on important things like the state budget healthcare, whether or not we're going to get Medicaid, uh, how much our public schools are funded or not funded, and uh, how much the minimum wage here is in Texas. Those are some of the most important decisions that we make. Very good. Okay, very good. So then let me ask you this, Ms. Julie. I think I have you unmuted. Yes. Let me ask you this. 
what was it that made you want to run for this particular seat? What was it that you saw that was not happening uh, by the person who is actually in this position right now that said to you, you know what, I can't take it anymore. I got to run for this seat. Share that with us a little bit. Well, there were a lot of things, but almost exactly a year ago, the El Paso and Odessa mass shootings happened. And in El Paso alone, we lost 23 Texans at a Walmart with kids going back to school shopping and getting backpacks and pencils and the essentials. And in the midst of their day-to-day normal activities, a gunman driven by racism and white supremacy rhetoric drove for four, five hours to that Walmart and gunned down 23 people plus so many more that were just injured, but 23 people died. And if I were in that position, my immediate response would have been, what can we do to make sure this never happens again? Period. And Matt's response was to get on Twitter and to say, I say no to background checks. I say no to red flag laws two things that have been successful across the United States in preventing mass shootings, which are wildly popular among Texans. I mean, we, we, we don't agree on basic math, but 90% of Texans agree on universal background checks. Uh, and that's a large, that's a super majority of people that believe that background checks can prevent violent crimes with guns. And he said, I'm not going to have a discussion on it. I'm not going to talk to my constituents about this. I say no. And that's not the role of a representative. That is the whole point of representative government is that we listen to the people that we're representing and we make sure that we are fighting for their safety and their best interest. And he failed to do that. And that was the breaking point for me. Right. So don't you find it quite interesting that, that when these kinds of things happen, that our public officials who work for us, we work for you, uh, you don't work for us, uh, don't step forward, come out, and, and have something to say. They just remain silent, and then when there are people who uh, want to run against them and oppose them, uh, then they, they step back. They don't want people to know what their voting records are really like. So with that being said, what about that person that you're running against? What are some of the things that, that you want to point out that he's voted uh, for that did not reflect uh, the growth and development of our community, this great community called Smith County? Well, unfortunately, it goes more along the lines of what he has voted against. So let's talk about three things. Let's talk about health care. Let's talk about public education, and let's talk about mental health care, because those are some of the three most important things that are impacting the day-to-day lives of these Texans. So the first, health care. He voted against the expansion of Medicaid. He left so much money on the table 
for the sake of his ideological beliefs, which means for him to remain, quote, unquote, alt-right conservative, he had to vote against his constituents' needs. So let's just break it down. If East Texas was a state, it would be 51st and uninsured. Hmm. That's incredible. And, and, yeah. and that doesn't just mean that people can't go to the doctor. It means that that has led to Smith County having the highest infant mortality rates of all 254 counties in Texas and some of the highest maternal mortality rates. And that just doesn't affect everyone. That affects lower class, marginalized groups primarily. The second is public education. In 2017, he was one of the leading voices to take millions of dollars away from our public education and invest them in privately owned, privately operated charter schools. And that's not just away from public education. That's out of the pockets of taxpayers. So he's taking taxpayer dollars and putting it into privately ran organizations. The third is mental health care. He voted against expanding funding for mental health care in East Texas, despite the fact that, again, out of all 254 counties, Smith County ranks number one in the entire state of Texas for suicide rates. If we have a person in Smith County committing suicide every single two weeks. Unacceptable. Those things are unacceptable. Those three alone tell you that his interests are not with the common person. They are with his donor base, and they are with people that look like and sound like him, which is upper-class white men. (laughs) And it's it's, it's just so – it's an abusive office. Sure. So then let's let's talk then a little bit about public education. I think I mentioned a little early on that you're going to have Constitution Day uh, out at UT Tyler from 10 until 2 on the 17th. And so you just mentioned something that brought my thought process straight to the Constitution, and that's public uh, education and our taxpayers' money, taxpaying money. Uh, now, you mentioned the um, the other schools, the private schools and the charter schools, and no one is knocking any of those. But does the Constitution, does that money not say that our public taxpaying money is supposed to go to public education? It absolutely does. And it's the only Constitution in the entire United States, including our federal Constitution, that grants mm-hmm a positive right for public education, which means everyone is entitled to a quality, free public education. And this money leaving state dollars was unprecedented. I mean, it it has been a fight for years and years and years and years and years, but in the last six years in Texas, enough far-right GOP members have been in the majority in the Texas House and Senate, but they were finally able to pass those dollars to go to charter schools, which are privately operated, privately owned, and they do not have accountability to the taxpayers uh, and to the parents who send their children there. Um, And so, yeah, he's absolutely not protecting the rights that we are granted in the, the Texas Constitution for public education, which is only hurting children that are already at a loss because they're either at low income or they're living in marginalized communities, which is unacceptable 
I've said it before on your show, but I still believe it to my core. And that's our community is only as strong as our most vulnerable members. And we, when we have someone in elected office who's working to make vulnerable people more vulnerable, that means we are not strong as a community. Very good. Well put. So well put. So then let me ask you this. Then how can we as citizens, all the people that are listening out there today, um, tonight rather, so how can you tell if someone that's running for a public office will actually do us a good job? I always say to people, don't forget to take a look at your candidate's uh, past voting records before they become elected officials and how active they've been in your community uh, and, and what work that they have been. If they've been at, uh, activists and you have been an amazing uh, activist, uh, but what are some of the things, and I don't, I'm not trying to put any words in your mouth, but you, you tell me how we as uh, electors can figure out who the best candidate would be for the job. And tell us, may that always come. While you're the best candidate for the job, let's let's just start right there, and then you can move into the direction <laughs> that you like. <laughs> Go ahead, Ms. Julie. Well, I think that one of the most important things that you can ask yourself is, do they show up? Do I know their name? Do I know their face? They're supposed to represent me, and it's not a big district, relatively speaking. They should be totally integrated into this community, and, and not just in the community that they belong to, but in the black community, in the Latinx community, in the, with the disabled community. Um, they should be working within each of those circles to build relationships and to know the struggles that people are facing and have enough empathy and drive and solution oriented thinking to be able to hit the house floor and work towards solving those problems, period. I like, I just don't know how to say this any more simply that our human issues should not become partisan issues. And that is what we see time and time and time again. We see it with Louis Gohmert. We see it with Matt Schaefer. We see it with Donald Trump. Human issues become partisan issues because it is beneficial to the person seeking power. And I'm saying, I don't care what you believe in. I want you to have health care. Yes. I don't care what you I want you to have access to a solid public education. I don't care what you believe in. I want you to have a living wage because I don't get to determine whether you're a human or not. You have worth. You are on this earth. You belong here. You have a family. You are important. And you deserve to be treated as such. And that should be reflected in the laws that we write. And it shouldn't be limited to a certain race or a certain sex or a certain gender orientation or a certain religion or a certain class or a certain physical ability. It should be even across all of those beautiful planes that we all intersect in. And if they're not working towards that, you're going to see it in their actions. You're going to see it in who they choose to talk to. You're going to see it in who they choose to show up for. See it in their votes. You're going to see it on their Facebook and on their Twitter. And it's going to be painfully obvious right. what they believe in. But you right. have to go and look. And, and you have to be dedicated to making sure that the that you are being represented 
And if they're not doing the job, you better vote them out. That is your responsibility to make sure that people are fighting for you. Well, I, very good. That was outstanding. I, I mentioned that that at the onset that you are an amazing activist uh, in our community, and you've been right out there doing uh, the George Floyd murder and Black Lives Matter every day. We were out there. We saw you right out there working hand-in-hand, hand, walking side-by-side side with all the other uh, groups, not just the African-American groups, all ethnic groups. You all were all right there because because what what I what I brought from that is that that you saw that that the elected officials that we had in place did not stand up. Uh, they didn't bring any uh, incremental approaches to our community problems. Uh, we were downtown on the square when we had the militias uh, to to bombard the square. Uh, everybody was there in, uh, in awe. I was in awe that day, uh, Ms. Julie, because I felt like that I was back in the war zone. And Mr. Arthur is, is a military, uh, uh, prior military as well. And so then that following Sunday, it, it carried on over into uh, Dallas, Texas. So that to me also is one of the ways that that you can tell if a person really cares about this community because I didn't see, I didn't see those elected, that elected official that you are talking about that you're running against. I I have not, and you may have, but I haven't heard not one word that he has said in regards to any of these issues that are going on in, in the nation and in our own community. Have you? Absolutely not. Well, okay. So, I have heard word from him, but again, it's been on Twitter. And again, it's been turning human issues into partisan talking points. So rather than discuss the very real existence of overspending on police, and that's primarily, and that is not to say I don't appreciate the Tyler PD. You have to know I appreciate the hard work that our police departments do, but we overspend on police. We militarize our police. And what we don't do is we don't evenly spread out our funding for things like mental health care, social work, having people ready to address the needs of our community. I was talking to somebody today about this. And, okay, and this was written in response because my opponent had gone onto Twitter and he had said he had tweeted a very inflammatory video and had said, I promise I will never defund the police. And he's using that verbiage like we mean we want to have police lose their job and lose their pay. And that's no. simply untrue. It's so untrue. It's a, it's a twisting of a narrative and it's ugly and it doesn't represent the community that he represents. And what we really mean when we say those words is that we need equitable funding, not just for police, but we need, imagine this, just close your eyes, listeners, for mm-hmm. a second, and imagine that you were driving down the road, and you didn't know it, that you had a taillight out, and imagine you get pulled over, your heart doesn't race, you don't feel fear, because you know that the person pulling you over is unarmed, 
and is a, a community service officer, which means that he is there with the tools equipped to pull the glass out of the back of your car and replace your taillight and send you on your way home. <laughs> that's interesting. In other words, imagine that. He, to help, he, he could be there to help, he or she. To protect to and to serve. And protect and serve, yes. Very to protect good. and to serve. And that is yes. not the reality for a large, and I'm saying it is the reality for some portion of the United States, but for marginalized communities, and this doesn't just apply to black communities, Ms. Dr. McKellar, this applies to if you are a mental health patient, which means if you have a psychological disorder such as schizophrenia, mm-hmm. you are 16 times, 16 times, 16 times more likely to be shot and killed by a police officer in the United States. Yeah. 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 And that's because they do not know how to respond to those situations. They do not know how to handle. They are scared. They are as scared of the mental health patient as the mental health patient is of them. And that kind of fear driven response leads to the death of innocent people. Why? It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable, and we have to have a change, and we have to have a healthy dialogue, not only about the respect we have of our police officers, but also the respect we have for Americans who are living Mm -hmm. in a world where they can be shot by police. Right. Mr. Arthur, you, I, I know that you probably have some uh, questions of Ms. Julie. Uh, I, I, I really, one more thing that I wanted to take a look at is, and you mentioned the uh, Medicaid expansion, and I, I'm yeah. so overwhelmed why anybody would vote that down, because as you mentioned, unless you don't care uh, that all of the uh, citizens of your state uh, have some health care, uh, and you, you gave us some statistics on uh, Smith County, our county, uh, in comparison to all the 254 counties that we have in in this great state of Texas. Uh, but but we rate so low in health care and so many in education as well. Why on earth would anybody? I mean, it just it's mind boggling to me. And then of course uh, I look at Main Street and and how we're doing as far as uh, jobs and businesses are concerned. As you know, it's, it's no secret to anybody that one of my primary uh, goals as a councilwoman is to, before I ever leave council, is to have some businesses in North Tyler. In North Tyler. We're working on more housetops in North Tyler, uh, but I, I say this all the time that I should not have to drive across town. Uh, to get some fresh vegetables. I don't even have a supermarket in North Tyler proper where I serve as a council person. Uh, Mr. Arthur, you have uh, questions for Ms. Julie? Yeah, yeah uh, Ms. Julie, uh, again, I'm, uh, I'm impressed with you again. Could you tell us, first of all, before I ask you a question, uh, how would somebody want to, if they want to donate to your campaign, or how, how would they do that? Absolutely, and thank you for bringing that up. Um, We have a website, and I will tell it to you, um, and I'll say it twice. The first time I'm going to say it all the way, and then I'll spell it out. It's juliefortexas.com, and that's with the number four, so J-U-L-I-E, the number four, Texas spelled out. 
www.jennifercarter.com. And if you search that, you'll find me, and in the top ribbon of my website, it'll say um, home, issues, meet Julie, and at the very end, it'll also have register to vote. It'll have apply for a mail-in ballot, and then at the end, at the very end, in bright blue, it'll say donate, and that will take you to so, my actual so link. So how do you spell Julie? J-U-L-I-E. Okay, 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 good, okay, good. Uh, and yeah, you can yeah, also, um, if, if you don't want to pay with credit card, you can also mail us a check to P.O. Box 7533, and that's Tyler, Texas, 75711. And, and so, Ms. Julie, because today is your birthday, we're encouraging <laughs> – uh, those that are listening, she doesn't want a present, but she wants to uh, be your public servant. And so if you have $5 or how many ever dollars, because I know that, you know, there's a lot of uh, candidates out there, some great candidates. She is one of those great ones, and we want to support as much as we possibly can. Um, any little bit helps, it'll buy a sign. You'd be surprised what five ten dollars uh, will do in order to help uh, this young candidate. And then I, the reason why I am so excited about Miss Julie. Do you mind if we tell your age, Miss Julie? You don't have to, but we can say <laughs> that you are early. Not at all. No, 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 no. Please do. <laughs> okay, but but we're talking about and see. I, I say all the time we need more people uh, up and down these tickets. Uh, people who are qualified. She is studying uh, political science, getting ready to graduate uh, very, very soon. She's a highly intelligent young lady in her 20s, and so it, it, it's, oh, it's just exciting to see Today is my 25th in- birthday. <laughs> I told it. I did it. I just said in her 20s. And so that's amazing to have young folk that is stepping up and stepping out to run for these public offices. And and, and she didn't just decide that she's going to run. She is preparing herself academically because I think it's just really important that we have qualified people to run for these offices, whether, whether you – come away with your degree in political science or whether you uh, went to campaign schools. Uh, you know, I chose both because I, I, I thought the more I learn, the better I can serve uh, the public. So I went to five campaign schools and then University of Texas has amazing political science division. And so I share that. And I want to, uh, uh, you know, tell us something. Then want to ask her a question. Sure. Uh, you know, you know, at your young age, that means that you have that that, that you know. Again, you you just pick whatever office you want. That office is going to be available to you at some point because you're at that age where you know. I mean, it's just going to come open. So, uh, so I so what I would suggest uh, during that time, like like say what you're doing, which is basically, uh, in fact, you know the the lay of the land on a basic level pretty well. So basically, it's going to just, just understand as you grow older, you're going to mature. Your views are going to change in some areas and so forth and so on. And so just, you know, that's just part of growing. So just understand that. But you're pretty precocious uh, from what I can hear right now. So, you know, so I want yeah. to say that you go as you go into this fight, uh, you know, to win a seat with all your boldness and your I amness, uh, if you don't win, hmm. What are you gonna do after that? I mean, I, I mean, look, everybody want to win, want to say we're gonna win, but you also gotta look at the long game. So, long game wise, 
should yeah. the unfortunate happen and you don't win, uh, what are your plans? Well, I want to start by saying there is no win or lose in this campaign. No matter if I am the new representative, I have won. If I'm not the new representative, I have won because I have started a much-needed conversation in East Texas. Not just me alone. It's been hundreds, if not thousands, of people who have talked with me and guided me, and we have decided together that the representation we have is inadequate. And whether I lose, I know without a doubt that in two years, Matt Schaefer will have another opponent. And whether it be <laughs> two years from now or on November 3rd, he eventually will no longer represent East Texas because he does not represent East Texas. Amen. Second of all, second of all, <laughs> I do plan to go to law school next year, win or lose. And uh, I will focus either in immigration reform or international security law reform. Um, For those of you that are listening, we have a huge problem with drones. And drones can be used for good and they can be used for bad, but one of my passions is drone reform um, because we kill innocent people on a daily basis overseas with drones. And there's a better way to approach human life, uh, and that's one of them. So eventually I will go into law school for that, or, again, immigration reform, because we've got a situation at the border in Texas that is totally unacceptable. And um, I always say I don't advocate for open borders, but I advocate for just borders that treat people like people. And we don't have that right now. Um, and so, yeah, either, either way, I do plan on continuing my education. I plan on being an active member of my community uh, in a number of capacities, and I plan on never stepping out of the fight to have a more just world because Lord knows we have a long way to go. Very good. Amen. So, yeah, so and let me just jump in and say that I just got a text message from Ms. Yolanda and she said that she has uh, signed up uh, to volunteer for your campaign. That's another young a millennial out there that has been very active uh, in the community as far as uh, getting that vote out. And so which, which brings me to, uh, to my next question, considering uh, the fact that, uh, that we are in COVID uh, and all of the things that are going on around us, Uh, And we can't just actively get out there the way we used to. We're just used to just getting out there and knocking on doors and just all over the place, especially doing this. I mean, we always amp it up at this particular time. And due to COVID, what are some of the ways that then you're able to, that you've been able to reach out to your constituents to let them know what your plans are and what you'd like to see happen? That's one question. And then the second question is that, as you know, uh, our state is probably one of the most gerrymandered uh, states in the union, if not the number one. And so, so what uh, what would you change as far as the the zoning and the codes and things that we see uh, to try to keep? Oh, I, I call it voter intimidation. You can call it whatever, or just uh, just suppression, more or less, of keeping people from the polls. Uh, and I look at my own district, and I, and it's it's so 
so many twists and turns that people will call me and say, I don't see your name on the list. I want to vote for you, but I don't see you on the ballot. And then the person next door to them, uh, if they if they live on a corner lot and right across uh, that corner, uh, that person could vote for me, but the one on the next corner could not. So tell us, talk to us a little bit about uh, the zoning, and then talk to us a little bit about how we're going to get the information out to the people uh, as far as census is concerned, which is very important uh, this day and time right now. Go right ahead. Okay. So we've got three questions. I'm going to start with the first, which is how I've reached out to voters. Um, And I want to start phone banking because, and this is going to sound strange, and I realize it as it comes out of my mouth, but this (laughs) is the one thing that I have been somewhat thankful for when it comes to COVID because phone banking has, one, we have called now almost 7,000 voters in the last three months. Yes. Yes. And that has afforded me the unique opportunity to have these lengthy, very personal, one-on-one conversations that maybe a campaign event would not have offered in normal times. And so I'm truly getting to know these people that I'm trying to represent and truly trying to understand through conversation what it is that they need, what it is that their day-to-day life looks like in East Texas, and how can that be improved. Um, And then the second thing that we're doing in voter outreach is actually happening this week, and that is we are trying to accomplish one of the biggest voter registration events to ever happen in East Texas. And so we are doing a contactless literature and voter registration drop throughout Tyler at all of the apartment complexes here in Tyler. And so we are dropping not 1,000, not 2,000, but 20,000 voter registration cards throughout Tyler on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of this week. And we are including in that their voter registration card, a link that takes them to um, their ballot or their polling place so they can find where they need to vote. Um, it includes information on not only myself, but Ms. Audrey Spanko, who's running against Senator Brian Hughes. And it also includes a sample ballot so that they can take it into the polls with them and know how to vote because straight ticket voting is gone. And they need to have the information at hand at the polling place of who they're going to vote for on the Democratic ticket. Now, moving Amazing. on to Question. Amazing. Yes, great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so gerrymandering is one of the worst forms of voter suppression. And the best way I've ever heard it expressed is that it makes sure that voters no longer choose their candidates. Candidates choose their voters. How messed up is that? That is the antithesis of a democratic society. And so the importance of gerrymandering comes down to 2021 and the connection to the census. So the census means that we are counting every single person that lives in each district throughout the United States and in Texas and in East Texas. And after they are counted, we will use those numbers to redraw district lines. And whoever is in the majority in the Senate, in the House, and the governorship, each of those players get a seat at the table for redistricting. 
if it's a majority Republican, I guarantee you they will work to block the black, the women, and the Hispanic voters. Because they do. That's their proven history. And if I were to be elected, it would not be to guarantee that I get to choose my voters. It would be to guarantee that we establish a nonpartisan district drawing board that draws proportionately in shapes and sizes that make sense, <laughs> and we actually draw by population proportionate to each community. Um, and just some fun history, you probably are all wondering, where the heck does the name gerrymandering come from? And it actually <laughs> came from the governor in, uh, right. I think it was Missouri, and mm -hmm. he had, this was the first instance of gerrymandering, and he had 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 the idea that we should be able to draw our own districts, whoever's in the majority, and so that became the norm. And he drew his district so silly and so drawn down by the voters that it looked like a salamander, and his name yeah. is Jerry. So they called it right. gerrymandering. So that's the history right. of that, um, just a fun fact. Yeah. But, yes, so we should no longer be able to choose our voters as candidates or as elected officials. The voters should choose who they want to represent them. Um, and so that would be my proposition is that we transition to a, a nonpartisan right. district drawing committee. Julie, what do you say to uh, people, I just say people, that say to you, uh, we don't live in a democracy, we live in a republic? <laughs> it's Good a fair question. question. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. It is a totally fair question And because it doesn't feel like A democracy at all times right now The way that everything works <laughs> That's true And so we have to make Consistent strides Towards perfecting Our democratic society And ensuring that we have People in office that are truly Representing them and their interests. And that just does not mean the 1%, but every single person, working class included. So I, I, that was an excellent question. I, I love that. And I, I, and I hear it from my dear Republican friends all of the time. And, and sometimes it gets, it gets discouraging when you hear this uh, from from them saying this is a this this is a, a republic, not a democracy, uh, and then they go on and on and on, and then they bring in the uh, they bring in the constitution, and so we try to say, but you know that this is a democracy, and it's governed by the people, or it's supposed to be governed by the people. Uh, we just elect you to be the voice, uh, and but the people's voices don't seem to be uh, be important. Yeah. They they're not they don't get out there to find out what it is that that the people their constituents that they're representing that what they'd like to see happen. Well, that's where the electoral yeah. college system comes in. That's the electoral that's college part. That's where that right. republic stuff comes in at. Exactly. Yeah. In other words, we don't trust you the know, people. And, we don't and, trust the people. We don't trust the people with democracy. So if they screw up, then we can still change it. Yeah. And, that's, and that is very true, and, and that it, it is more relevant in the presidential race, is what I would say. Um, for the yeah. local offices like 
the state house races, the state senate races, city council, mayor, school board, um, there is no electoral college. And so voter suppression still may happen, especially through things like taking down polling places and making extremely strict voter ID laws, um, making sure that felons can't vote, um, making sure that districts are incredibly gerrymandered. Those are all until, forms of voter suppression. Until we get the, until um, we get the, until we get the Voting Rights Act signed, you know, voter suppression yeah. has always been here. Yes and no. I, at the federal level, yes, voter suppression may exist until the civil rights or the voting act right is passed. But at the state level, that is where I tell people all the time, get involved in the state race, get involved in the local race, because the exactly. politics of these local races can very much so determine your ability to actually have a voice in the races that you care about that are actually having the biggest impact on your life. Because I, I promise you, Donald Trump is not voting on your health care the way that Matt Schaefer is. Donald Trump is not voting on your living wages the way that, that Matt Schaefer is. Donald Trump is not voting on your ability to get a good education the way Matt Schaefer is. Those are local, state-driven decisions. That's right. And we have to stay focused on that because it's so easy to get caught up in the constant media-driven narratives about national politics and lose sight of the fact that people are sitting here in your own neighborhood having a detrimental impact on your life because they don't vote in a way that reflects the value of your life. Well, I, I thank you, Julie, for that. And I tell people all the time that even though the president is, uh, is an important position but the rules and regulations, our legislation and all of that, those things are made at a different level. And so the president normally is the person who cuts our budget and decides where money goes all across the United States of America. And then that president is actually uh, the commander in chief of the military and needs to know foreign policy and know foreign policy very well. But when you, when it, comes down to where the real decisions and things that are being made in this country that we live by, uh, you've got to look at the Senate, you've got to look at come on down the line on that state level that you're talking about all the way down to city council, county commissioners, all politics is local. And that's the bottom line. That's why it's so important for people to be involved in what is going on around them. And I, I have to tell you, I mean, if I hear this one more time that I don't get involved in politics, uh, people don't really understand that everything is political. I've said this to so many people oh, yes. that everything <laughs> is political from Main Street to Wall Street. It's all political from the church well, house I tell people, to the White House. Thank you. Right. Yes. I want to say. I, I tell I people all the time. I just want to say, uh, Shirley, that our president showed up last. What was that? Last night with with, with five thousand people in a hangar, without no mask yeah. on. So yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And that was locally, and that was locally in Nevada. So I'm trying to tell you, yeah, everything is local, but like you mm-hmm. know, you got a cult personality at the top like we have right now. You can't use normal uh, uh, analysis to kind of figure out what's going on. See, just oh, that's no, no doubt to say that we need to get the, 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 the chief out, <laughs> out of office. But at the same yeah. time, I, I want to encourage you that there are also measures that we can take into our own hands here locally that still make a right. tremendous impact on our qual- quality of life. That, doesn't, that is not sure. to say that the president 
is not an important race because it absolutely is, it, and we have to it. get him out. But sure we see how important we really still have power. Shirley almost got injured a few weeks ago. I'm sorry, say it once more. I said Shirley almost got injured a few weeks ago. Okay. You ever had one of those that, you know, from the, that came from the top and, and you know, folks got injured down here in Tyler. Well, I'm not in Tyler, but mm-hmm. folks got injured right. in Tyler. Right, right. Some of our people did get injured here in Tyler during the uh, event. Let's talk a little bit about about that and how you felt that that was handled or how it how what you felt that how it should have been handled. Go ahead. Is she still on? Oh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, she asked you a question. Hello, hello. Hello? Hello? Yes, can you I'm hear me? sorry. I can hear you. Go right ahead. Okay. Okay. Um, so that event was very tough. And the only I, – I went to that event – because I knew, so just the background, we have been protesting in Tyler. We had been protesting in Tyler very regularly, right. and I had been very involved in that um, for Black Lives Matter in response to the death of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. And um, the event that Hank Gilbert hosted, the language used was very partisan and, and, and inflammatory because it was about save Portland. And I think that there was um, that it caused the alt-right to quite literally bear arms in anticipation of some kind of rioting and looting in downtown Tyler, which was just absolutely not the case. And the the reason I went to that event was because I knew that the girls that I had been working with um, throughout these last, the women that I had been working with throughout these last few months um, were going to show up because they show up to every protest to have their voice heard. And we got there, and it was just hundreds, you know, of people there, and they were armed to the teeth. And it was just an intimidation at its finest. And it was the confrontation of the idea that a person would feel so threatened by black unarmed women coming to protest that they would feel the need to arm themselves and confront those people, despite the fact that they are completely unarmed and are only there holding a sign. (laughs) And I think that that just shows you the level of miscommunication that's happening at the national level around what's really happening at these protests and these protests. You said black women, what, what, no black men there? There were there were black men there, but I was primarily in a group of of black women at the event. Oh, okay, I okay, okay. I thought you were saying um, okay, there okay. really weren't very many people there, in general, from the Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter movement. I would say there was about two hundred people there for the Back the Blue event, and there was about twenty to thirty people there from the Black Lives Matter group here in East Texas, or the Fight for Justice group here in East Texas, as we call ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm for y'all. 
So keep fighting. Yeah, just just the, the importance of communicating well with our fellow men and women is, is can never be understated. Um, violence is not the answer at all, and there needs there's something to be said that bringing a weapon of war to a protest, whether you intend to use it or not, is inherently not peaceful. <laughs> and it's not a peaceful act to walk to a supposedly peaceful protest, but with a weapon of war. Because um, that states that you're there out of either fear or intimidation. Um, so it was just it was a really rough day. I'm not gonna lie. It was it was a, it was a, it was just a tough day all around, <laughs> and surprising yeah. and hurtful and just a little scary, honestly, because it could have gone wrong very quickly. It could have mm-hmm. gone wrong, absolutely. And and you know, whereas I, I mentioned to um, Mr. Arthur, where we're both accustomed. To, to seeing those kinds of weapons uh, from the life that we lived. I mean, we were retired military. I mean, I, I saw those kinds of weapons every day, all the time, it, you know. But to walk down uh, to the city of Tyler, Texas, and see those weapons, uh, it, it, I had a flashback. I mean, my mind went straight to what war was. Uh, and it went to the Iraq War, and where I—I I mean, it was—it was overwhelming to me uh, to see it. It really was. I, 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 can I only saw you there. I mean, it's, I, when I first drove there and pulled around the square, and then I, I finally found—I I circled around the square a few times uh, because I—I uh, I didn't. Uh, I couldn't find the park, number one, and and I, I mean, I just I was trying to collect my thoughts. What in because I wasn't aware that that was taking place. I understood that it was posted in the newspaper somewhere that they were going to be there, but but I probably would not have even thought anything about it because I would not have thought that it was a group of militias. And then when I finally found a park, uh, and then I had to sit there for a few minutes to just kind of collect my thoughts and say, you know, it, is this really happening? And then I geared up and put on my mask and my shield and all that and, and got out there in the mist to try to find out what was really going on. And, I mean, it was people that I had seen, that I recognized their faces because some of them did not have on a mask, as you know. So yep. some I didn't. And then I found out that many of them came from other other towns and other parts of the yeah. East Texas and the community well, and the state. Go ahead. That's where I'm do so it. sorry that you had to go through that. Thank you. Again, it was just a tough, it was a, it was a very, very tough day. There's no way around it. Um, right. And yeah, you know, um, hopefully that we can, it's my goal to make sure that we never have that kind of, that kind of ever happen again interaction. And, and, yeah. And I mean, we're not, it's, just, it's we're an interaction of ideas. It's yes. an interaction of right. ideas. It's a, it's an interaction of these people with their guns feeling intimidated. And it's an interaction of a miscommunication between those people and black men and women who are trying to fight for their lives and make sure that they have a voice that's heard and respected and, uh, Julie, the Julie, miscommunication Julie, between those two Julie, is incredible. Julie, 
Julie, no, 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 Julie, it's about a 400-year diaspora. It's about a, <laughs> yeah. about a war. About a war that was it is. Never, it's about a war that was fought that was never uh, consummated. The, the Civil War never ended. It, this is the third iteration yeah. of it. So it uh, now it, it's like a little bit bigger than that. It's and so I just want to yeah. understand it. Yeah, yeah, like the context of it is uh, this is this is a re. It, we never end the Civil War. So this is like mm-hmm. this is like Civil War. You got Northern white folks and Southern white folks. Same, you know, same thing. Mm-hmm. And well, so, I can tell you that no, so, nobody was, in, so no one was intimidated. It, so we saying Black Lives Matter, you, you don't understand, that's in the context of the Civil War never ended, when they got together without yeah. us being at the table, and they decided how it was going to be. And white privilege was what they agreed upon. And so now mm-hmm. we're having this fight about white privilege. What is it? Is it real? This type of thing. So, <clears throat> so I'm just saying, so yeah. this kind of, you know, broad perspective of what's really going on. Okay, yes, locally, that's interpersonal, y'all. That y'all that's going on, but um, but the genesis of it is like well, no, un- you're resolved issue. You you and, so are you are touching on something that is completely real, especially in East Texas, and and you know, I'm happy to talk to, about this at whatever length you need, but the history of East Texas is incredibly violent towards the black community. I mean, East it's Texas part of used to be the, the hub NAACP. of slavery out of all of Thurgood the United Marshall. States was in East Texas. And, you no, know, Thurgood the history Marshall. of Thurgood Marshall Hill. Yeah. Right, it's, right. it's a deep history of, of a fight for black people to secure rights in the first place. And then a fight for desegregation and then a fight against Jim Crow laws and a fight against, um, dignity here for the black community. And we see that now, and it's still interconnected into every single aspect of people's lives here in the black community from like Ms. Shirley McKellar was talking about how we have a food desert in North Tyler, how we have a healthcare desert in North Tyler, how we have an education desert in North Tyler. Yeah. We have a housing desert in North Tyler. Uh, we are completely segregated still to this day. And, and that is a lasting impact that has to be changed at a incremental, but also structural level up and down yeah. from government well, got- to individual to individual basis. Well, just Guys, Miss uh, uh, Arthur, just okay. one second. Let me jump in for just a hot second because I want to bring in our other dear friend, Miss Audra Spanko, who is out there. And unfortunately, let me apologize to her. I thought I had sent her the number and I texted her out. And so she's on with us now. So let's bring her in to the conversation and then we can continue on. And we got to hear a little bit more from her as well. Miss Audra, are you there? Um, I am. Thank you so much. I appreciate you finding me and and having me on. Thanks so much. Thank you, and I am so sorry. Uh, I, I guess when I sent it to the number to Miss Julie, I forgot to send it to you. So I'm so sorry. Not and a let problem me introduce at all. You Thanks to for having me. Yes, thank. Yes, yes. We still got another hour, so you got time to talk about you. We're we're into a deep conversation, so I want you to introduce yourself to all of our listeners out there, and then we can bring you in, and we can go back to that conversation. But let's hear a little bit of, about what you're running for, who you are, and so forth, and your areas that you're covering, and then and and of course. You hear your your sidekick over there, Miss Julie, that's been on with us for the last hour, and it's great to have you on. Go ahead, uh, Miss Audra, um, introduce yourself. 
Thank you. Yes, so my name is Audrey Spinko. I am the Democratic candidate running for Texas State Senate District 1 here in Northeast Texas. So our district overlaps with Julie's in Smith County, and then we have 15 additional counties here in Northeast Texas. And um, we are trying to push the narrative in lots of different ways. It sounds like similarly to the conversation that you all are having um, uh, about race and making sure that we are elevating that point and really fighting for all East Texans. Um, is a big piece of our campaign and trying to make sure that we actually make health care, public schools, and um, workers' wages and everything that workers need accessible to East Texans and actually stand up for East Texas in a way that we haven't seen in representatives in a long time. So um, one of 31 Senate seats here in Texas, and we're hoping to flip one of them and that be here at Senate District 1 so that we can break up the supermajority in the Texas Senate and bring some new voices from East Texas to, to Austin. Right, great. Well, let me tell you, quickly, and then we're going to spend the next hour with you, Ms. Audra. We're going to let uh, Julie give her website again in her last seconds uh, because she's going to have to skedaddle. And uh, we thank her so much for being on with us tonight. Julie, you can give your final comments and your, your website once again of how people can reach out to you. And we thank you so much for coming on and all the best for you and your campaigning. Thank you so much, Ms. Shirley, Dr. Dr. Shirley McKellar, mm -hmm. and thank you, Audrey. It's so good to hear your voice. Um, I have to go tuck my kiddo in. We've got school early tomorrow morning, so I have to go <laughs> off for that. But I, um, we are can be reached at our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Julie for Texas, uh, and then our website is also Julie for Texas, and that's with the number four and Texas spelled out. Um, and we would absolutely love to have you join our campaign in any capacity that you feel confident in, um, whether that be donating $10 or picking up a yard sign or um, phone banking for us or helping us distribute these voter registration cards. So please, please, please um, get involved. This is not a matter of whether you should vote or not. This is a matter of life and death uh, and our rights, wages, and health care. Um, so, with that, I hope each of you have a safe and wonderful night. And thank you so much thank again you. for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And get us some signs because we don't have any of you in our area. Thank you so much, Ms. Julie. All right. Bye-bye. Bye now. And so, Ms. Audrey, we're going to get back over to you and let you talk a little bit more about your campaign and why we should vote for you and all the things that you plan on bringing uh, to the great state of Texas as one of our senators uh, here in the East Texas area. Just take it away and tell us what you want us to know, because then after that, Julie brought up something as she ended. Uh, she has to get the child ready for school, so I want to talk a little bit about uh, school and COVID. We've talked a little bit about public schools and the funding and all of that, uh, but uh, but just go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit more. Tell us a little bit more about your campaign. We heard about the 20,000 uh, registration cards that's going to be sent out on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the sample ballots and the locations where people can get out there to vote early. Go ahead. We're, we're excited. Wonderful. To yes. yes. So as I mentioned, my name is Audrey Spinko, and I am a licensed social worker. I've been practicing social work in Texas for about 10 years and um, had an eye-opening experience interning at the state capitol during the last legislative session when I had been working with families and women and children for 10 years to try and prevent various concerns and issues and also trying to strengthen 
um, the lives of, of Texans all over the state through the work that I was doing, I realized how much could change if we had different policies in place. And to get those different policies, we need new representatives and we need new elected officials um, at the state level to really advocate for and fight fight for policies that are going to help families in Texas. So I was interning at the state capitol, witnessed a lot of things that I felt were um, not in the best interest of East Texans and decided someone needs to, to run. And my opponent, Senator Brian Hughes, has been unopposed in almost every race he's ever run and so decided to jump in because I've seen, you know, families and individuals in their most vulnerable spaces. I've experienced various things myself that have really – could be different if we had different policies in place, family, individual, person-focused policies that actually put people first. So I have been campaigning for coming up on, oh, it's been now over a year. We started last August, and um, many of the ideals that I believe that we should be fighting for, Medicaid expansion, making sure that individuals have access to health care, um, making sure that we are really supporting our medical providers and physicians. We're giving them a place to practice in our Senate district. We've had four hospital closures. So all of these things yeah. around health care have really come to light even more and come to bear even more now that we're in the middle of a pandemic and um, a million more people across the state of Texas have lost health insurance. Um, we really see this need. We also have seen and heard from so many people over the last year about the need to support our public schools and how teachers and individuals are impacted um, in their day to day. And so many of our teachers in East Texas are really the foundation of our communities, schools and um, different industry around schools, our administrators and others, is one of the biggest industries of East Texas and lots of our small communities. The schools are the largest employers. And so we need to be making sure that we're actually investing in our public schools and that is a long-term investment where we pay teachers a livable wage and we make sure that they have the resources that they need to run their classrooms and take care of the students that they care for each day. And again, that was exacerbated during this pandemic when schools closed and schools went to virtual. And we're in rural East Texas where broadband is hard to come by. And Students weren't, didn't have the access to the Internet and to devices that they needed to stay connected. Teachers weren't able to switch over and start teaching virtually. And parents, you know, some families only having one device in the home, parents couldn't work virtually and have students or their kiddos going to class virtually. So, again, another, you know, policy and different issue that we had been fighting for and really advocating for throughout the campaign came to light again during the pandemic. And, again, workers' rights and making sure that we are encouraging and reinforcing our labor unions and taking care of workers and having making sure that they have the benefits that they need, paid sick leave, a living wage, and all of those other benefits that we feel are, that I feel are so in, in need and encouraged um, for our East Texans, again, became even more apparent during the pandemic when we've seen such a high astronomical rate of unemployment and a need for individuals um, to be able to have those wages. So many folks can't even afford or can't have a savings account when we're living check to check and don't have the wages that they needed. So also an advocate to increase the, the minimum wage and make sure that we are enforcing and taking care of our workers here in East Texas, but then also um, making sure that they have those benefits that they need, health insurance, paid sick leave, time to take off whenever family members are sick or ill. So 
we've been kind of having these conversations all around the district for it was probably about eight months when the pandemic hit and forced us on to virtual campaigning. And all of those mm-hmm. conversations that we've had and continue to have have just um, become even more clear about the need for change for East Texas because we've had our elected officials, currently my incumbent had, has held elected office at the state level for 20 years. So he's had 20 years to really help reinforce and take care of these needs of East Texans, and he has failed to do so. And when our leaders have failed previously, it's now um, exacerbated to a, a totally new level because of this pandemic. And we could have been doing a whole lot more to help prevent so many of the things right. that have occurred over the last six months. And I'm ready to get in there and fight for it so that we can correct this and move forward in a way that's going to actually help East Texans. Very good. So then what would be one of the first things that you'd like to work on? We, we talked a lot about health care, and we talked about how Texas rates as far as health care uh, is concerned. We talked about uh, how Matt Schaefer voted down the uh, Medicaid expansion. We know that the governor uh, as well voted down Medicaid expansion. We know that Brian Hughes voted down Medicaid expansion. What would be the first thing that you'd like to see happen for, um, for Texas? Yes, so Medicaid expansion is a huge piece of that. Um, and when we break down, you know, our number of uninsured in the district, it's just growing, as I mentioned, through all of this. But Medicaid expansion provides health insurance coverage or will provide health insurance coverage to tens of thousands of residents of East Texas, making sure that they know that they have coverage to go see a doctor and to um, take care of their needs. Our health outcomes in um, Texas are not good, but our health outcomes in East Texas are some of the worst. So if our district was a state, we would rank 49th in health yes. or heart disease mortality, 47th yes. in respiratory disease mortality, and 51st in stroke mortality. So our hmm. healthcare system is lacking because individuals don't have the resources. Um, half of our residents make less than $50,000 a year annually, and so we really need to be looking at ways to support healthcare, and that's one of the biggest pieces that motivated me to get into this race, my previous work as a social worker was primarily in prevention, working with families um, in public health clinics and at the Department of Family and Protective Services. And I could yeah. tell, you know, we, people were hurting because they couldn't get to a doctor. But we also recently, our campaign um, over the last month or so, we hosted a um, town hall on rural health care. And we spoke with um, the CEO of Titus Regional Medical Clinic, one of the only standing rural health um, facilities still in our region, so out of Mount Pleasant. And then um, Dr. Mike McGrady with the Smith County um, Medical Society and Dr. Waddleton out of um, Quitman and the UT Northeast um, Center there. And they all reiterated the need for Medicaid expansion as well. But they also said we can't expect Medicaid expansion to be the fix for us. There's additional things. It's a component of the change that we need to see. So we also need to be supporting the new medical school there in Tyler. We need to be making sure that we are creating incentives for providers to come and work in East Texas too. We, you know, even if folks have coverage, who do you go to when we can't get a doctor to come and stay in East Texas, you know? 
So we've got a lot to do to also support our providers and make sure that individuals um, will actually come and serve our region and come back to our region, you know, go get the training maybe elsewhere or go through school somewhere else and then come back and serve the communities that helped raise them as well. So we have a lot to do around healthcare, and I think that's where we're going to have to start, um, primarily with the Medicaid expansion, but then those bigger conversations because we know that can't be the only solution. Absolutely. Beautiful. So well put. So then let's take a look then at um, COVID-19. Let's take a look at our students uh, going back to school, have gone back to school. And so we just got a report today that uh, one of the school districts outside of uh, Tyler, but in East Texas, uh, had over 100 cases uh, at one of the high schools and that that school is going to be shut down for the next two weeks. Of course, you know, there's so much work you have to do in scrub and clean and, 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 and professionally mm-hmm. done. You know that they focus on the, the regular janitorial service where the regular, but it's something special about the way in which that we clean uh, these areas to try to get rid of all of those bacterias and, and, um, uh, viruses that may be on the walls, maybe on all kinds of uh, objects and things. So with that being said, what are your feelings uh, on how uh, America is handling uh, this COVID-19? Because we see some other areas, other countries that, that have been accustomed to wearing masks, and so they've been able to get a handle and a control over better than what we see. Uh, we see so many people fighting against uh, what the CDC and our guidance uh, is. Speak to us on that a little bit. Yes. So I um, I have been concerned about this from for, you know from the beginning and um, frustrated every time I go out into the community and I am one of you know two or three folks that I run into wearing masks and taking it serious. And some of my biggest concern is that we we feel like we are you know separate from the large communities where these interactions and the pandemic was really hitting. And we feel that we are somehow unique in East Texas because, you know, we're a little more isolated. Um, But we've seen the virus, obviously, as you said, with the school and and others, it can travel and it's here and it's impacting East Texas. Um, And I think obviously leadership comes from the top and our governor buckled as soon as anything came up around business and industry. And that's, unfortunately where his line is um, for most things. So we are poorly funded in education and we are poorly funded in a lot of these other resources because we often buckle to industry and to business. And I so appreciate the need for jobs, but we also need to be making sure that businesses and corporations that come to Texas are bringing quality jobs, but they're also still paying into the system and they're, you know, they're paying in for those taxes. And so it was as soon as it seems like there was an argument around business, we, he folded our, you know, our governor and leaders at the state level folded to business rather than really paying attention to the impact on individuals and families and even our small businesses. If we had, you know, stayed um, in our statewide shelter in place order for a little while longer, or if masks had been encouraged a lot longer than they were or sooner than they were, we wouldn't be mm-hmm. where we are today. We would have seen something totally different six months later because we have, would have created a different um, feel for it from the beginning. 
people are often looking for leadership and they're looking for individuals to follow. And when um, our leaders or our state elected officials aren't willing to take that and um, make sure that their work is prioritizing people, we leave people behind. And unfortunately, during a pandemic, it means illness and potentially fatalities. And I, I'm so disappointed by the way that Texas has handled this. I believe yeah. strongly that there are so many other ways that we could have done it. And I think, you know, I, I mentioned a lot about our governor, but I also feel like it came down from our president as well and individuals taking direction from their lead and they led us in the wrong direction. I, I agree with you 100%. And, and now we talk about like today is 50. Of course, today is about over. It's nighttime now. But we know we're 50 days out uh, from the actual election day. But we also know that we only have about 20, 21 days or so uh, before the deadline for us to register people to vote. Mm-hmm. So that's crucial and that's important for us to register the people. But a lot but we've registered, and I can tell you this unequivocally, we have registered a lot of people in the past, but the problem has been getting them to the polls to vote. Right. And with this COVID going on, oh, my goodness, that creates even more of an issue. Uh, I like the fact of the 20,000 registration cards because uh, we talked about this a little bit early on, is that some people who were actively registered and did vote, their names got scrubbed from the mm-hmm. voter rolls. And uh, mm-hmm. so what are some of the things, what else can we do? And, and like I said, I love the uh, 20,000 registration cards uh, this Wednesday. I guess it's this Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and it will have mm-hmm. the locations here in the area for people uh, of where they need to go in order to vote. And then a sample ballot. That's really, really important. And then we want people to know, and you can uh, iterate and reiterate, but we want people to know that they can actually carry that sample ballot inside of the polls with them. That's exactly, very, very yes. Yes, very, very in a relationship to that, if you'd like. Yes. So I, I wholeheartedly believe that we should be doing more to make sure individuals are, are voting. I don't think that we can say clearly that um, we have representation if not everyone is participating um, and you know, voting for representation. So um, we are going to do everything we can to get as many folks registered. So we'll have 20,000 cards that we're putting out in Smith County, um, concentrating primarily in Tyler for the most part. But then we also have another 15 to 20,000 that will be out across the rest of Senate District 1 to do what we can. And what we're really hoping that folks will do, and I know that this is hard because no one wants to talk about politics, but what we really need to be doing is calling our friends, calling our family members, calling our coworkers, anyone that we have relationships with. If you are a voter and you plan to vote, make sure everyone else that you're connected to is also a voter and planning to vote. Just like you said, I was talking with friends this weekend, um, and I love it. One of them said that they saw after one of the pro sports games, I don't know which one it was, but soon after the game had finished, they, there was an ad to check your voter registration. And they pulled it right. up. 
they saw that they're no longer registered because exactly like you said, in the state of Texas, we have a use it or lose it voting rights. You know, it's not like all the other rights that you get to keep forever. Um, if you don't vote, I believe it's six years, and I apologize if I have that inaccurate, but if you haven't okay. voted in several years in Texas, you're off the rolls. So if you sat out yeah. the last um, presidential or you sat out the last um, Senate race, then you're no longer a registered voter in Texas or very likely that you're no longer a vo registered voter in Texas. So um, we need to be making sure that we're, we're reminding folks of that. Um, check your registration. Do it now so you have plenty of time to get registered. In the state of Texas, we also have – you have to have be registered 30 days before. So lots of right. this I want to change when elected. <laughs> we need to make sure that folks are automatically registered. We become an opt-out state. We shouldn't have this deadline to make sure that you get re registered to vote. If you want to vote, you should vote. Um, so we have a lot to do once elected. But in the meantime, we, we can't let those hurdles um, dissuade us, and we have to push through them um, despite how hard they are. We'll see also, unfortunately, some polling places will have closed this election during early voting because of certain bills passed last session. We'll see a lot of hurdles that are unfortunately not going anywhere for a long time. So we have to work through it. We have to push through it and make sure that everyone we know is registered and going out and voting because they, people can hear us talk about it as candidates, you know, every day, all day. But I can promise you, if I talk to someone and say get registered, it doesn't mean nearly as much to them as it does if their sister, brother, cousin, friend, you know, someone who they already have a relationship with calls them up and says, hey, exactly. we have to do this and I'm going to take you there and we're going to do it together or go online, fill it out, get it mailed to you, sign it, send it back, all of those things. So exactly. I really encourage anyone listening Go through your Rolodex, go through your phone, go through whatever you need to do. Send a message to all of your friends and family and remind them, go check your voting. If you're not, let's get you registered. Well, well, thank you so much for that, and you're absolutely correct. And let me just say that the voter registration is our secret weapon, and yes. you have to use that secret weapon. I tell you, it's there's so much at stake during this uh, campaign uh, during this election cycle, I should say uh, that that. But this is this is one of the things that I want you to fight for when you get to Austin, and that is a yes. voters' holiday. And then you, yes. you touched on the other one, and that is on the very day of election, you can be registered to vote. You're automatically registered if you're a citizen of this country. The state you should be you should automatically be registered. And why would you yes. be uh, removing people from the uh, uh, registration uh, polls, I mean, uh, list, instead of working toward adding them to the list? But now you're going to yes. spend time removing them after people have worked really hard in order to get these people on. I, I, I'm mind boggled by that. I just it is. don't quite understand. Yes. And, and, but I, I think that that's one of the perfect examples of, of why people should vote, too, and why you should vote yes, for yes. the folks who want you to vote. <laughs> because there, there are people and, and in all office it is who is do this, not want you to vote. It's voter suppression. That's all it is. Right, Mr. Arthur? Come on exactly. in. Exactly. I know you have some comments <laughs> that you had like to make. Go ahead. Oh, no. Uh, 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 how are you doing tonight? Uh, basically, yes, just uh, give some information or, or give us some information. I know that I know it's day to day, uh, well, on the 11th, the uh, uh, appeals court, you know, knocked down uh, a lower court's ruling. So basically, basically, right now, if you if you're 65 and older, 
you know, you can vote, you know, vote absentee without any excuse. But uh, if you're under 65, you're going to have to have an excuse, like you're out of town or something like that. So there are some ways that you can still vote absentee. That's what people need to understand. There are there are some rules. Uh, now, if you know any of those rules, uh, I appreciate you sharing with us. Do you know any of those rules yes. on absentee balloting? Yes. So the the absentee or vote by mail ballot, um, as you mentioned, it's gone round and round in the courts. And, you know, as soon as something rolls in our favor, then it gets pushed back and it's changed. Um, so I can't even recall how many times this has changed um, in Texas in the last couple of months. But, um, you know, this has been a push. If it's not safe, to go out and do our daily lives or to operate or to have kids at schools or anything like that, then there's a really good chance it's not safe to go stand in a line for several hours with other folks in the middle of a pandemic. So um, individuals should be allowed to um, cast an absentee ballot and request that. And um, currently the definition as it, as it reads says that individuals, like you said, 65 or older, um, out of the state or out of the country and out of their, you know, their county um, can vote absentee. Additionally, individuals who have a disability that would prevent them from getting to the polls. And this is where a lot of the debate has been happening over the last couple of months about what constitutes a disability. And so the the eligibility for vote by mail in Texas right now um, really puts the ownership of that concern of that disability on the voter. So there is That's no right. required proof for um, the state or county or um, an office to have to verify um, your status or your health or anything like that. So um, exactly. it's really up to an individual to determine if they are eligible to vote. Um, and so what we saw, you know, across Texas was, for instance, Harris County, um, the elections official sent out um, applications to everyone in Harris County to vote by mail because it's up to the voter to, you know, decide, am I, do I need to fill out this application and um, do I feel safe standing in line or can I go do this or do I have a loved one at home who is susceptible or I'm at risk for, you know, for COVID. So that's an individual right. voter's decision and that's a, a big piece of this and I'm glad that you brought it up that we really need to be educating individuals that if you are fearful to go to the polls because of an illness or a pre-existing condition or anything like that, then you will be eligible because it's based off of your own determination to be able to, to vote by mail. And so we want folks to be able to do that and um, to take advantage of that, if that is, especially if that's going to prevent you from going to the polls. Um, so if you I are going to vote otherwise because of that concern, vote by mail. Well, well and, and what I want people to know is that the lawsuit was about having a blanket uh, a thing just for COVID, right? Just for once that time, COVID. Right. So, uh, so, and again, like you explained, there are some other reasons why you could still use the absentee balloting system. So there are exactly. uh, there are other reasons. So that's all. Right. That's yeah. what I want yeah, because, to let you know. Yes, COVID is not the only uh, disability that that you may have or have had, uh, anyways. And so, and, and even this past Tuesday, excuse me, this past Friday. Uh, here in Smith County, we had two more deaths uh, due to COVID, and we don't know what in, what the other underlying, if in fact underlying uh, issues and diseases that they may have. A lot of people have hypertension, diabetes, uh, all mm -hmm. kinds of, of things. They may have a sick person in the home that they care for. Uh, they may be young like us. <laughs> right, uh, right. They could be young people, uh, but they they are taking care of someone, and so you don't want to uh, 
bring a, a disease of such as COVID-19 into your household uh, by running out and voting because you don't know who has uh, there are people who are asymptomatic, who uh, took the test and found out that they were positive for COVID and uh, was not showing any symptoms at that time, maybe later on started to show symptoms. So uh, so there's a lot of things that we have to take into consideration uh, when people go to the polls. And so I like the fact that Harris County sent out all of those, but boy, did we ever hear complaints from Washington, D.C., correct, about <laughs> those ballots being sent out. Uh, to people, and they should be sent out, and we should we should be concerned about the well-being of our constituents, and not well, yeah, and, 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 and put them in county. But here in Dallas County, they sent out they sent out the uh, form for you to for you for you to send for the the, the ballot. Right. Now, they didn't yes, send out the, 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 the application. Request about it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That, and that's the way it is, period. That's, that's, that's how you have to do it. But the, uh, the Democratic Party for the state of Texas automatically sent out, and I think they sent out some 60,000 or so that was supposed to be going out this week. Yes. Starting today, yes. I believe. Okay. Yes. So those specifically went out to folks who were 65 years or older, so automatically and, oh, eligible. Yes, just to try and encourage folks, even if you feel healthy and you're 65, um, be one less person at the polls, you know. Um, allow those right. who, who feel the obligation to go in person to be there in person and help um, decrease our, our lines and make sure that we have that. I think we are going to see record number turnouts this year, and thankfully we aren't quite like Harris County or even there in Dallas County where our, our judge races, you know, increase our <laughs> our ticket by Twenty people exactly. or, or so. Um, we will still see, I think, record turnout here in East Texas, and um, those oh, numbers. Sure. If we can do anything to to bring them down with the the in person votes, um, I think that that's really important. Absolutely, you're absolutely correct. Yeah, this is. I, I mean, as I mentioned, oh, this is um, this is going to be an amazing election. There's so many high stakes available. Uh, during this election, to I mean, people are going to come out in droves. I, I firmly believe that yes. people, we as as you know, when we've been downtown uh, during our um, uh, protesting, our peaceful protesting, uh, we've been registering a lot of uh, millennials have who have never ever voted before, and they could be in mm-hmm. their twenties, thirties, their forties, and never voted. So now they're going to be voting. And so yes. it's going to be amazing. So we don't need to be bombarded. I agree with you that. And then, then let me bring this out as well, uh, Ms. Audrey, that people uh, have complained about that they're, they're not comfortable with the mail, that they, they really uh, would rather go in person. But what I say to them is if you're, if you're uncomfortable, well, soon, first of all, as soon as you get that ballot in the mail, as soon as you get it in the mail, Fill it out and send it back immediately. But if you don't want to send it back, I say hand deliver it down to the election office. Hand deliver it down there. And and then if you insist on going to the polls, you can always have them to come to the curbside because we have curbside voting as well. They bring the machine out. And then you and your spouse or you and whomever you have in the vehicle with you uh, can vote right there at curbside. 
Yes. Yeah, exactly that. If you if you are going to vote by mail or you're hesitant because of putting it in the mail, like you said, walk it in in person and take it to the elections yeah. office and, and submit it that way and, and get it counted right from the very beginning. Um, I think that that's a, a great point to make as well as that um, going and do that. And then to your point about registering new voters, one of the things that I have found um, that's really exciting and also very interesting is how many voters I've spoken to over the last couple of months who are registered and have been a part of the process, but have told me, I used to only ever vote for president. Yeah. And so we have no straight ticket voting anymore. And we really want, and I think people are really starting to see how important every race on your ballot is. Um, and so if you're, if you're voting, vote all the way down the ticket and make sure that you, you vote for everyone in every race. Do your research. Bring your, you know, your, your sample ballot with you because all of these races matter. Every single one of them from the railroad commissioner to the U.S. Senate to mm-hmm. Texas House to your, you know, ev- all of them matter. So um, I'm really excited to also hear folks saying, you know, this is the first time I'm going to be voting further down than just the president. And it's, it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we educate them on what those positions are and what they consist of, uh, because it's probably been a long time since people had any uh, civic uh, classes, you know, probably maybe way back down in high school if they didn't take any in college or if they never even yeah. made it to college. So it's so Did important you, for us to educate people. Go ahead. Elizabeth, could you ladies – uh, tell me exactly, okay, like they changed it from straight ticket to where you have to actually pick the uh, people as you go through it. Now, uh, so, so somebody made a bet that somebody was smarter than somebody else. So I just want, <clears throat> so I just want to know, uh, you, you know, what do you all think that actually precipitated that and, and, and who actually has the advantage in that type of uh, electoral uh, change? That's a, a great question. Um, so this actually, this change right. came from our Republican majority in the Texas um, House Senate and Governor um, two terms ago. So it came to be in place. It was premeditated um, almost four years ago. And I, I have looked it up, but I honestly, I can't remember what the justification was at the time. But I think that the folks who were in office who made this happen are regretting it now because I do believe that this benefits the Democratic Party. Um, and I, I, I don't think – I think it's going to add a little bit of another element to, to what we have to do. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's an interesting idea to think that you do have to, you know, consciously vote for everyone on the ticket. And it takes a lot more effort than, you know, starting and pressing one button or just clicking at the top. But I think that we'll see more folks um, who actually participate and do all the way down the ballot in the Democratic Party. Right. Uh, how about you, Sharon? How about you, Sharon? What do you think? Mm. Ask me the question again. Frame it well, to me one more time. Well, the question was, you know, somebody when they made this change, they made a calculated mm-hmm. decision. Somebody was smarter than somebody, and so mm-hmm. and so now it's been changed. Who do you think actually had the advantage going into the election as far as having to actually go down and you know mark about the Republicans or the Democrats? You know, who 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 the who, Repub- who, who the Republicans? Well, well. Uh, they're smart people, 
in every direction, both sides of that. So I'm not even going to say that, but I think it was a calculated uh, <laughs> decision to stop the straight Democratic ticket, straight Republican ticket, because it was much easier for Democrats to just make that just pop. Let me just say this before I say that. I always went up and down that ballot because I wanted to make sure that I knew every name that was on there. I, I studied because I studied my ballots even before I get there. I studied my candidates before I get there. And so whereas I know that I could have punched that straight Democratic ticket or that straight Republican ticket, I'm a Democrat, so I'm just going to stick with I could have punched the straight Democratic ticket. But because I wanted to make sure that every person that I was looking out there to vote for, their name was actually there. The way I knew that, I went up and down that ticket, and I wanted to see Shirley McKellar's name for United States Congress District 1 there as well. (laughs) So with that being said, I think it was a calculated issue that was designed by the Republican Party to get rid of straight tickets because they knew that people – the likely, if it was a straight ticket, the likelihood of Democrats uh, having the edge was greater than the Republican having the edge. Now they see it as they have more of an edge because they feel that um, that the, the Democrat, the Republicans. Well, let me tell you what I think. Then, okay, go ahead. Okay, let me tell you what I think. Let me tell you what I think. I think that for the fact, the fact of the matter is, straight straight ticket voting Democrat ain't helped us none over the last what twenty some years. So, uh, you know, that being the case, I think it actually, I think it actually uh, gives us an advantage because you got the, you, you got the, uh, you know, demographic shift, and then if you're gonna, and, and if you're gonna actually start having people go and vote uh, person by person, uh, I think that basically, I think Democrats, I, I, I mean, I just, I mean, this is my belief. I, I might be prejudiced, but I think that they'll probably, they'll probably do it, uh, uh, you know, probably more. More than probably than Republicans, I think. I think they're gonna lose interest about halfway down there. They're gonna leave. So. You, you know, and I'm not sure of that, but let me just uh, let me just address the one thing, uh, is and that is the reason why it's not so much as the straight ticket uh, punching in uh, that helped one over the other. I think that the Democrats uh, have not had the edge is because uh, we vote sporadically. We don't vote consistently in every election cycle like Republicans normally do. And that's why it has not been an advantage to us, not so much as a straight uh, ticket. That's in my opinion. Uh, because now, Democrats, now, Democratic pro- uh, problem is like they rolled up here during the presidential primaries, hype everybody up, and then when it comes to the midterms, we abandon. We don't see them. Right. That's what I just said. That is exactly what I just said. That's right, that they don't vote consistently during every election cycle, which is this. I there has been no cultivation. There has been no cultivation. But there's been no cultivation of our vote. You know, everybody knows the majority of black folks in the South. They have the Democratic Party. Again, again, I'm pushing them to do it. But, you know, like, they need to do more recruitment in the South. They just do us in the primary and then, uh, you know, undo us. In the general, and then we ask for some. They say, "Well, you know, y'all didn't really vote. You know, we didn't win in the y'all district." So I'm just saying that uh, you know, the, you know, Obama ran a fifty a fifty state strategy. Got away from that Clinton triangulation strangulation thing, and so you know, and, and it worked. 
And I'm just saying it empowers more areas when you do it like that. So I'm hoping that I'm hoping Biden's running a fifty state strategy. It sound like to me they're kinda of doing a doing a triangulation thing again. That's what it kinda of sounds like. Well what what see here's here's how I see that. What it takes, it takes and, and Miss Audrey can say this, uh, because she is a candidate. I've been a candidate. It takes everybody out there running and taking care of every 50 state because there's no way that, especially a person, let's just use the person that's running for president of the United States, there's no way that that person can be every single place. That's why they have to depend upon their strong advocates that are activists, rather, that are out there pushing and campaigning and working every area, touch every place. Because there, I mean, we have 50 states in the union, and we have some territories as well. The pre, the one person, the president, the person that's running for president, the person that's running vice president on those two tickets, they have to divide and conquer and send everywhere as much as they possibly can. But we need everybody working together to make sure that that 50 states is all covered. President Obama did not go to all 50 states in the union. Go ahead, Ms. Audrey, you can address that because you're a candidate. Yeah, I have. You have. You just have very hundred percent agree. Yes, and I think that a big piece of that, and you know, we will continue to to do this in in the future and other races is is to look for other people to run. You know, an investment yeah. in Joe Biden, giving him twenty bucks is good. Give Joe Biden twenty bucks. But 20 bucks to my campaign actually means we're going to, you know, reach five more voters. It's a, it's a true right. investment that will help up and down the ballot because we are, you know, a little more local, um, even like Julie's race, even more local, even your race as city council, even more local. Right. When we have candidates on the ballot to motivate the, you know, those, you know, those relational folks that we were talking about earlier, um, then we also see that change. And that's where I think, the Democratic Party has really failed is making sure that we don't leave seats uncontested um, and that right. we are actually cultivating candidates at every level of government so that when somebody goes out to vote, they're not just voting for, a, you know, a figure that they see on TV. They're voting for a friend or um, a, a local business person yeah. or a, a local college graduate or, you know, whatever. Like there's actually a more <laughs> of a personal connection that motivates people to get out and that helps those you know, bigger races. Absolutely, 100%. I agree with that. Well, let's take a look at a couple more things. We know that we just got past Hurricane Laura, even though we're not past it. I mean, the hurricane itself is gone on and dead in the sea. But but look at the damage and all of that that has happened uh, in Lake Charles, Louisiana, in uh, Port Arthur, in Beaumont, and then now we got Sally that, that's coming about, and then we have all the, we have the fires that are going on in California. Uh, my goodness! And then they're talking about all these issues with climate change and climate control and all of that, but we don't see any uh, real guidance uh, in that aspect from uh, Washington D.C. Uh, this climate change is real. Can you can you dialogue a little bit with us on uh, climate change, climate control, and and how uh, we should be able to do something? We've not been able to really uh, let the public know how serious uh, COVID nineteen is because they've been told that it's a hoax, uh, it's a plague, it's a uh, it's a oh, it's made up. 
I mean, people said to us, uh, and we had someone that was arrested here in Tyler, Texas, because he refused uh, to wear a mask, and he came to city council and spoke with, with us about it and said we're infringing on his rights. I mean, there's just so many issues and so many things going on in every single direction. So yes. talk a little bit about uh, climate yeah i mean it's hard to it's hard to focus on one or the other right and unfortunately we're seeing it all around us like you said the wildfires in california and in oregon and then this will be the third or fourth hurricane we've already had this season so um and i think it's really interesting as you compared kind of the narrative of covid that's exactly right we've you know, our most of our elected officials have been talking about climate change as if it is a hoax and there's no science behind it and it's nothing to be afraid of and to be fearful of. And that might be the case for um, generations that are here now, but we need to start having this conversation and actually putting energy and focus into addressing the issues of climate change and the impact that we have on our planet because we are seeing the effects of that and we're we're seeing it more rapidly now than ever and if we want to make sure that our children and our the next generations to follow us have a safe space we need to take care of it um, and so I think in Texas we one of the big things that not just will help our environment but will help our budget and will help um, our day-to-day yeah. is we should be focusing on green energy and green resources. Um, Texas is one of the the leading um, producers of green energy, but we could be doing so much more except for we continue to focus on fossil fuels and oil and gas, which are not nearly as um, good for our environment. So there's a lot that we could be doing at the state to make this change happen as well. And I think somehow – and I don't know how this narrative comes to folks in a way that they will grasp it, but it's so similar, like you said, to COVID, of individuals realizing that your personal liberties can't infringe on someone else's liberties. And you your refusal to wear a mask infringes on my liberty to be safe and um, to be COVID-free. And the same happens with the environment. You believing that it's my property or it's my whatever, and I'm going to live the way I want to live, um, infringes on the liberties of others that will come behind us. And so um, we really need to make sure that we – I don't know how to do it yet. <laughs> but we need, right. we need to somehow change this narrative that our own personal liberties somehow um, are more ben- beneficial than someone else's, and we need to be taking care of one another. And that in yeah. so many different ways in the conversation around environmental justice as well and making sure that – you know, when we look at projects and buildings and infrastructure in the state, that we aren't continuing to disenfranchise the same populations of individuals by creating um, all of this mess of, you know, climate change that impacts um, poor communities further than anyone else. And so there's, there's so many pieces of this conversation that need to be yeah. had at the state level that we could shift um, if we put the focus again back on people and making sure that we're doing what will will be best for this generation and the next. Very good. That's that's outstanding. Uh, I don't know if Mr. Arthur has anything else. One, we're almost to come to an end. We have probably about uh, eight minutes left, but I wanted to, to wanted you to focus a little bit on the importance of people uh, filling out those census reports. We talk about um, 
We talked about our areas and how important it is for us resources to come. We talked about Medicaid expansion, and that's a resource as well that we could have had. But but we all ride on our roads and our streets, and it's so important for us to fill out those census reports because a lot of people don't understand, well, why am I having to do this? Why do you need to know how many people are in my household and why do you need to know this? Even people who uh, quote uh, that are considered undocumented, uh, they need to fill out these census reports as well because they use some of the same resources that those of us who were born and bred uh, in Texas and in America. Can you talk to us a little bit about the census reports? Please. Before you do that, uh, let me mention this, that Ms. Yolanda sent uh, an article to me, which we already know that this is protective, right? But she sent an article that says face masks could be given, giving people COVID-19 immunity, uh, researchers have yes. suggested. If yes. So we already know because you're protecting yourself and you're protecting yourselves from each other. Uh, you're blocking the aerosols and all of that that you're putting in the air because we know that COVID-19 is a respiratory disease, it's airborne, and so and so it's so important for people to wear their mask above their nose and not below their nose, uh, <laughs> it's, it's almost like doing nothing. So I wanted to mention that before you go and talk about uh, the census. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. So I think I may have read, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely want to touch now on the mask thing too, because I think I read the same article and I remember, mm-hmm. and I still see so many people talk about the way that we're going to get through COVID is through herd mentality or herd um, immunity, but we can get closer to herd immunity by wearing masks. So um, right. some of the research now shows that the mask, you know, it prevents so much of the particles and that airborne illness from entering our system, but it may allow trace amounts to enter our system in just enough that we could start to build the antibodies and immunities to it. So um, wear the mask. (laughs) It would be closer (laughs) to what we've been, you know, pointing out for so long. Uh, But, yes, I think that that's fascinating, and um, thank you for bringing that up as well. Um, But, yes, around the census, this is another piece that I don't, or I know our Texas um, state lawmakers did not invest enough money in. Um, We should have had a statewide initiative to make sure everyone is filling out the census because it is so important. Like you said, getting a count is all that it is. It's not um, detailing all of those other details. Thankfully, the Census Bureau is incredible at fighting all of the improper legislation that was going to put in so many questions that would have created more of an identity for folks. But just giving people account helps state government and helps our national government understand where dollars need to be allocated because there are more people in need of resources. And it's so important for individual day-to-day resources. It's also really important to our state government and structure. So they base all of the district lines off of the census. And so we can draw lines and make sure that your representative is actually representing you and is um, representing a population that is diverse and unique and making sure that all of that is there as well. So there's so much information that comes from the data collected from the census, which is just a count of how many people are there. I know that often, especially in this time, it is hard to trust 
that anything is just what it is, but that's all it is from the census. It is just a count to help us make sure that we have the dollars or the dollars that are needed are allocated to different communities. And so it is critical to making sure that the state has the funding that it needs to be able to provide those resources. So um, I, I wish that we had invested in this message at the state level as we should have, and it should have been a line item in our budget this last session so that we could really make sure folks all across Texas knew this and um, are given the opportunity to invest. And again, when the pandemic hit, it slowed down all of those um, resources and census takers, and now it's needed even further. So fill out the census, most definitely. Yes, very good. Ms. Arthur, come in. No, I just want to say that I enjoyed her tonight, and uh, you know, like I say, just uh, stay, you know, stay focused, and you know, just uh, represent that you can. Appreciate you. That's Thank right. you. Give us yeah. your give us your website again, uh, Miss Audrey, and then tell us how uh, we can help. I I know that we've been on calls with you, and we've done phone banking for you, and so uh, you and Miss Julie both as well. And so we're excited about the fact it's great to see more women. Uh, who are running, this is one of my pet peeves all the time. I talk about uh, so few uh, women who are in office, uh, and I always use uh, Congress as an example. Uh, We have uh, 435 congresspersons. We have 127 uh, women, and then we have 41 uh, women of color. Uh, When I say women of color, uh, I'm actually specifically uh, talking about uh, Hispanics and uh, African Americans, in particular African Americans. We have a few. We have fewer Hispanics than we do uh, blacks. So, uh, so it's great to see women uh, running for these seats. And like you have uh, so eloquently said, as well as Miss Julie, is that we need to have balance up and down the ticket. We need to have. Uh, we we don't need to have one person just holding that seat repeatedly over and over and over, especially mm-hmm. if they're not working for the greater good. I'll give you a minute of your final say so, and then with Miss Miss uh, Rihanna is going to play our theme song for the evening, and just feel free to come back and be with us at any given time because we like to push our candidates all the way to election day and across that finish line. Go ahead. I love it. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for your continued support. I really do appreciate it. I don't know if you got a chance to see it today, but um, we had an article or an interview released in the Tyler Loop, and there's a, a great picture yes. of you and I, yes, Dr. I Keller, in the Tyler Loop today. So thank you so <laughs> yes, much for always and, being And so when supportive. I saw that, I reached out to you immediately when I saw that. So go right ahead. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Women helping women. It couldn't get any better. There you go. Um, that's that's so my thing. Thank you so much for for that support and for your continued support. Um, my website is AudreySpanko.com. It's just my name, and Spanko is just as it sounds. It's a spank and then an O. Um, so Spanko.com. You can find us on all of the socials, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Audrey Spanko, um, TX. Um, so we would love anyone to or folks to, to join us on social media, share information widely, um, make sure that we are or letting folks know if you've got any connections to East Texas, we would love for folks to share information about our campaign. There's also links to donate and links to volunteer on our website. We'd love to have you on a phone bank, a text bank. Um, join us to put out voter registration cards. 
um, join us to connect with voters, the best thing that we can do is reach out to a voter via a text or phone, remind them of all of the important dates that are coming up, making sure that they commit. If someone will tell you over the phone or in person that they plan to vote, they're like 50% more likely to actually go do it. So that's the goal is to call folks, remind them, get them to commit to us that they're going to go vote and make sure that they do it on election day. So please go check out our website and really excited to, to be running here in East Texas to make this change happen. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Ms. Audrey, you were amazing. You and Ms. Julie, both amazing uh, candidates. Give my very best to your parents and your hubby as well. And we're Will pushing. We need, we need some of your signs down here in, uh, in, in North, North Tyler, North so that people will know uh, who you are. They know who you are from being out there, but they so that they can see your signs. Because Miss Julie said something very important. She said, "Do I know who they are?" So we know who you are. We know who Miss Julie is because you ladies have been out there pushing and prodding and showing the community how you can represent them better than what we have in office right now. I thank you so very much, uh, Mr. Arthur. Thank you. You're done for the evening. We're gonna, yes, we're going to bring Miss Rihanna in and let her play our theme song. Uh, stand by, nice. uh, Miss Arthur, and listen to our theme song. It was a great show. We enjoyed it so much. Thank you, Miss Arthur. Thank you so much. We'll Good see night. you next time. Good night. Miss Rihanna, it's all Good yours. Night. Bye. Bye, Rihanna. One day when the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be ours. Oh, one day when the war is won, we will be sure. We will be sure. Oh, glory. the heavens, no man, no weapon, formed against, yes, glory is destined, everyday women and men become legends, sins that go against our skin become blessings, the movement is a rhythm to us, freedom is like religion to us, justice is juxtaposition in us, justice for all just ain't specific enough, one son died, his spirit is revisiting us, true and living, living in us, resistance is us. That's why Rosa sat on the bus. That's why we walked through Ferguson with our hands up. When it goes down, we woman and man up. They say stay down and we stand up. Shots be on the ground. The camera panned up. King pointed to the mountaintop and we ran up. One day when the glory comes, it will be out. It will be When the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure, oh, glory, 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 oh, glory, glory, now the war is not over, victory isn't won, but we'll fight.
married man, woman, and child. Even Jesus got his crown in front of a crowd. They march with the torch, we gon' run with it now. Never look back, we done gone hundreds of miles. From dark roads, heroes, to become a hero. Facing the league of justice, his power was the people. Enemy is lethal, a king became regal. Saw the face of Jim Crow under a bald ego. The biggest weapon. It's to stay peaceful, we sing Our music is the cuts that we bleed through Somewhere in the dream we had an epiphany Now we right the wrongs in history No one can win the war individually It takes the wisdom of the elders and young people's energy Welcome to the story we call victory The coming of the Lord, my eyes have seen the glory One day, when the glory comes It will be ours Good night. Good night. <laughs>